There's certain times I come up here to preach and uh, I get a little bit excited. After a time of worship like that, man, I don't know if I, all I got to do is say Jesus and uh, I think it's done. Uh, so that I almost, almost gave up the message this morning because I just want to keep on worshiping. Almost. Some of you wish I might, but I'm not going to because I think God wants to say something to you and I'm, I'm excited about the journey he wants to take you on through his word. Every bit of our praise is founded on his word. And so we need to come back to his word and let it feed us this morning so that we can respond the way we should. We're going to be in Exodus 15. You might as well go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Exodus 15. And we're going to journey through it. Uh, but before we, we start reading in the passage, I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you a quick question that I, I want you to be really honest with yourself about. And I'm going to help you be honest with yourself. Here's my question. And, 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 and you don't have to raise your hand, please. In fact, don't raise your hand when I ask you this question, even if it's true of you. Do any of you struggle with bitterness inside you? So I, I'm going I'm to let that just kind of weigh on you for a moment. And when you really wrestle with, do I have bitterness inside of me? Because here's, here's what I'm concerned about. I know there's a few of you and you're like, yes, I know I'm bitter. I'm angry. That's who I am. But I think it's actually a small portion of you. I think the majority of you would say, no, I'm not a bitter person. I mean, I know what a bitter person looks like. Their face is all contorted and they're mean and angry. And that's not me. I'm a pretty happy person. I'm, I'm not bitter. There's no bitterness in me. And I just want to help you see, because this whole message is going to be about how do we solve this problem inside of us, this toxic thing called bitterness, but you got to know it's in you before you're going to listen. So I'm going to ask four diagnostic questions. I was just doing some research. How do you recognize bitterness inside somebody? And I have a feeling it's going to hit the majority of us in here. In fact, first one will probably get about 80% of the men in the room. You're going to find out there might be some bitterness in you. So here's my question. Any of you struggle with the issue of getting easily irritated. Like you, you know that thing probably shouldn't trigger you. It's not big enough a thing, but somehow it just ticks you off and you fly off the handle. Again, no hands out there because I don't want to have to raise mine with you. But any of us in here struggle with being easily angered, easily irritated, because that's a classic sign of a root of bitterness inside you. I'm, I, I got question number one. I'm like, ah, come on, Lord. All of a sudden I realized this message isn't, isn't really for you, it's for me. Uh, and this happens from time to time. The Lord's preaching to me, so just know it. Don't be offended by it. Maybe some of you will benefit from it. But there are many of you in here who struggle with what I struggle with. I'm easily irritated, it's oftentimes, by the people I most love. It's a classic sign. There's some root of bitterness inside me that i got to root out. But just in case you're one of the few people in the room who somehow made it past test number one, let's go ahead and move on to test number two, second diagnostic question. Do you sometimes feel like people don't appreciate you the way they should appreciate you? Like they just don't really, even the people closest to you, they don't know you or appreciate you. And maybe you just kind of feel like in your heart of hearts you deserve to be treated better. Because feeling underappreciated is a classic sign of a root of bitterness inside you. How about this one? Any of you struggle with jealousy towards the achievement or success of the people around you? Like, you know you shouldn't feel jealous. They're not taking anything from me, but you see them succeeding and somehow it makes you feel worse. And, and though you are way too smart to say this out loud, back in the back of your mind somewhere, way deep in there, you're going, I think I deserve it more than they do. Because when you're jealous of the achievements of others or the success of others, if you're looking at all your peers and they seem to be doing better than you and it frustrates you, that's a classic sign of a root of bitterness that, is, that has gotten grip of your heart. 
Or how about this fourth one? Any of you in here struggle with focusing on the negative instead of the positive? And maybe, does that, does that lead you to complain sometime about your circumstances? Because complaining is one of the chief signs of a root of bitterness inside you. Or maybe the better question wouldn't be, do you see that in you? Maybe I should tap your spouse on the shoulders and say, what do you see in your husband or wife? What, what do you see in your child? What do you see in your parent? What do you see in them? What would the closest people say about you? Man, I love them, but they can find the negative in anything. You can just kind of grumbly complain. That's a classic sign of a root of bitterness that has just gotten a hold of your heart. So now after going through these four questions, again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you would say, okay, maybe I do have a little bitterness in me. What do I do about it? Well, I hope the Lord, I've been praying. I walked around here with a team of people. We're praying that the Lord will reveal to you that there's a lot more bitterness in us than we realize. Here's what I want to teach you today. I want to teach you from the word of God how not to be bitter even when your life totally is. To recognize that your circumstances don't have to be rosy or perfect, that you can live in the middle of a bitter world and still not become a bitter person. And we're going to learn that lesson from the word of God as we look at some of the most bitter, complainiest, grumbliest people on the planet, the people of God, the nation of Israel, specifically when they're wandering around in the wilderness. And we're going to learn from them what to do and what not to do. So Exodus 15, last week we read as we jumped back into this sermon series, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are going on a, on a, a series through the book of Exodus. We started last week. We're picking back up in chapter 15. It's going to take us all the way to chapter 24. And we're just going to go methodically chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Last week, we looked at the Song of Moses. As they celebrated God's victory as they crossed the Red Sea and as he crushed the Egyptians. And now here they are, they're free people. And you're going to see how quickly things turn in their world. It's going to be in verse 22. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. Here's what it says. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Okay, we're going we're gonna to pause right there for a moment. Because I just want you to see, there was a classic sign of bitterness. And they grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we going to do now? Where's water? How are we going to drink? What you're about to see right here is something pretty spectacular it is the scientific speciality of grumbling among the people of God. They're not good at much, but grumbling is one of the things they're really, really good at. And they do it over and over and over again. But what's so incredible about this particular moment, this instance of grumbling, is just how outlandish it is in light of what took place just three days before this. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Literally 72 hours before this moment, because it says they'd wandered for three days, 72 hours before, they had seen the greatest miracle in the history of the people of God, the greatest miracle in the entire Old Testament, really only capped by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, they're walking through, get this now, a wall of water on their right and left, perfectly dry ground. I don't know if they could see, like, from the Prince of Egypt, wells and stuff. They could see, it's like glass on both sides. They're walking through it, and they make it to the other side, and here comes this Egyptian army. They see the whole Egyptian army completely obliterated in one move as the, as the waters return over them. And here they are. They're parting like it's 1999 on the other side of the shoreline. They are celebrating all that God has done. And in 72 hours, they go from praising Almighty God to going, where are you, God? You going to let us die out here, God? Where are you? 
Now, I don't know this for certain. I, I, don't, I, I didn't read any scripture on here, but I'm, I'm pretty certain Moses suffered from ulcers from leading a people like this that were just like up and down, up and down, up and down. Praise God, where are you, God? Praise God, where are you, God? I, I'm sure it had to be exhausting to be around this nation of a million plus people and all they do is grumble. They celebrate God and they grumble. Celebrate God and they grumble. And there's the temptation I have and we have to go, man, how pathetic can they be? And not realize that all the while we're calling ourselves absolutely pathetic because we do the exact same thing. God was very clear to me when I was about to preach this message. He said, watch out, Jason. You're about to put yourself in a position of great hypocrisy. Because I'm going to tell her how bad that is when the Lord just showed me recently that's exactly what I do. I want to take you back with me. I, I was in uh, a retreat, a planning retreat with a staff. This was back in late October of last year. And we had, in these planning retreats, what we do is we, we celebrate all that God has done. And then we start to try to make plans for the next year to, to ask the Lord, what do you want to do? And how do we strategize around it? And it was spectacular because of all the things we'd seen God do. When we went in October... We were able to celebrate a move of God we'd never seen before because we started praying every single week. And within six months from when we started this, we saw more baptisms in that six months than we'd ever seen in any given year of our 67-year history of our church. God just moving in power. We'd seen in that six months more guests than I'd seen in the 17 years of being here at Fielder Church in that particular season. More movement of God toward the vision. God was just doing incredible things. And we were shouting hallelujah and we were praying and praising and it was phenomenal. Then we started planning what we were going to do for the future. And I was blown away by the opportunities, the ways we were going to be able to help our church shepherd, how it was going to create more growth and more missionaries and more children adopted. And I was praising God on cloud nine. I mean, I, I couldn't get any higher in my worship of Almighty God. And then 24 hours later, later I'm laid up in my bed saying, God, where are you? Because my, my hamstring had been ripped out of my pelvis bone playing a stinking game of wiffle ball. That's not supposed to happen with wiffle ball. That's supposed to be a safe sport. But here I am, I'm playing wiffle ball with the staff and I step in the mud and woof, rips the hamstring right off. 24, I didn't even, it didn't even take me 72, it took me 24 hours to go from praising Almighty God, you're glorious, to God, where are you? How could you let this happen to me? And go ahead and admit to you, I'm not gonna throw a single stone at these Israelites because I'd have a whole bunch flying back at me. And let me go ahead and suggest you probably shouldn't either. Because I don't know your story, but I'm smart enough to know you got the same problem I got. Th this happens. Our circumstances sometimes take us to places where we go from praising God to cursing God, and we don't even mean to, but in our heart of hearts we do. Let me tell you, these Israelites, they had a reason to be bitter. They had a reason to suffer in this moment. Their circumstances were terrible. You just got to know what's going on. So it says that they've gone out three days with no water. In the wilderness of Shur, two things that are really important to understand here. First of all, the human body can only go three days before you die of dehydration. You can go 20 to 40 days without food, but you can only go about three days before you die of dehydration. That's a normal, healthy human being in a normal circumstance. Let me tell you about these people. They were in the wilderness of Shur. Now, when you hear the word wilderness, odds are you think of the wrong kind of place. When I hear wilderness, I think of like wooded area, shade, mountains, rivers, creeks, lakes. No, 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 that, that's, that's not what the wilderness of Shur looked like. If you go to the Sinai Peninsula and you look up wilderness, think Mojave Desert. Think Death Valley. That, that's what this place looks like. Arid, dry, no shade cover, no water anywhere. So they are literally at the end of where they can journey, 
three days with no water, no shade, they're at the breaking point. There's a reason for them to complain, to grumble, because they don't know what they're going to do. Now, I don't know what they expected, but my guess is after seeing the, the parting of the Red Sea and the miracle there, they expected just to beeline right over to the promised land. They were going to go take the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can assure you they did not expect to wander around in this death valley for three days and die of thirst. So they're, they're getting angsty at what's taking place. But what's really interesting is they don't actually grumble yet. They don't grumble on day one. They don't grumble on day two. They don't even really grumble on day three until the end when God jukes them out and they get to the waters of Marah. So they, they get to this place. Now they, they're literally dying of thirst. They're overwhelmed. And remember, they're being guided by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they're just going where God tells them to go, wherever step he's telling them. So he takes them to the waters of Marah, and they're like, finally, our God has come through. They go run up. They get down. They start lapping up this water, and as soon as they take it in, they got to spit it out because the waters are bitter. Now, when it says bitter, help, help, help yourself understand, this is not talking about like Pantigo water that tastes a little funny. <laughs> this, is, this is talking about poisonous water. Like, I don't, I don't care how dainty you are. You can drink Pantigo water. It's not going to hurt you. Might have an aftertaste, it's not going to hurt you. This water, though, if they drink it, they're going to get sick at best. They're going to die at worst. They couldn't drink it. They had to spit it right out. And it's at that point that they grumble. Let me go ahead and tell you, you would too. In fact, you have before. Every time you get your hopes up and they get dashed, you know what you do? You grumble. You complain. It happens. There are some of you in this room, and you you got into a relationship. You, you were single. You didn't really want to be single. You wanted to be married, and you longed for that, but you were doing okay, and then you found the person. And man, it was so spectacular. Just everything seemed to be better, and life seemed to be easier, and you'd wake up excited about being with this particular person, and life was going so great. You thought this was going to be the one until they dump you, and all of a sudden, you feel terrible, and you look back, and you're going, I wish I never even met him. Lord Tennyson said, better to have loved and lost than ever to have loved at all. That brother was never dumped by anybody. That's why he said that. Because <laughs> when you've been dumped, you're going, I wish I'd never met him. I wish I'd never loved at all. I wish I'd never had my heart ripped out from me. When you get your hopes up and they get dashed, you know what happens? It hurts. And complaint wants to come out. I've never met people who complain more than Dallas Cowboy fans. And you want to know why we complain so much? We complain because our hopes keep getting dashed. We're all right with mediocre seasons, man. Just play half and half. But once you make it to the playoffs, every single one of us goes, this is our year, baby. We're going to win. And what happens? Boom, get dashed over and over and over again. Cowboy fans are the complainiest, grumbliest, angriest people you'll meet. Because we can see the water. We just can't drink it. That's a problem. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you, when you get your hopes up and they get dashed, complaint just naturally comes out. Well, that, that's what's going on with the Israelites. Like, we don't, we don't need to throw a stone at them. We need to recognize we're just like them. Here they are in bitter circumstances, and God had directed them to this bitter circumstance. But here's what I want you to understand. There was a reason why God did it. I mean, there's a side as you read this, you got to go, man, God, are you like sadistic or something? What's wrong with you? Why would you drag this out? I mean, you're guiding the people specifically to a place where it's not drinkable water after three days of not having any water. God, that's like sick and twisted. Why would you do that? 
But see, you would only say that if you didn't understand what God was doing. God was giving them a gift that probably they didn't want. What he was trying to do was expose what was inside of them because they couldn't see it. You see, they thought the problem was with the bitter waters of Marah, but the problem wasn't the bitterness of the water. The problem was what was inside their hearts. The problem was what had grown inside of them. And this is what I want to teach you. In fact, I want you to write this down. I want you to remember this truth and take it with you. Our problem is not the bitter condition of our circumstances. Our problem is the bitter condition of our hearts. Because the condition of your heart will determine how you view your, your circumstances. We always want to blame our circumstances. I'm sure they did too. They're complaining to Moses. Here's my problem. Look, we got no water. The waters of Mara are bitter. We can't drink it. See, that's the problem. No, 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 no. God was trying to show them their hearts. The problem wasn't the bitterness of Mara. The problem was the bitterness inside. And it's the same thing with us. Listen, I get it. There are some of you here this morning and you have a very bitter circumstance. There are some of you, and every single day you wake up, you are in chronic pain. Every day, every time you move around, something hurts, and it's just growing more and more bitter. You're getting more and more exhausted. You've gone to more and more doctors, and nothing seems to help. That's a bitter pill to swallow, to have chronic pain. Some of you are here, and you've had to swallow the bitter pill of being abandoned by somebody who was supposed to love you and care for you. Maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a child that was supposed to care for you as you got older in life. Maybe it was a friend, somebody who said they'd be there for you and they weren't there for you. Listen, when you're you're abandoned by somebody who's supposed to be there, it hurts. It's bitter. There's some of you, and you're struggling immensely because you feel like such a failure. You're looking around this room, you see shiny, happy people, life looks so good, and you're going, why is my life so jacked up? Why do I have so many problems? You're looking at your peers, and they all seem to be so successful, and you feel like you keep falling on your face again and again and again. And you look at your life, and you're going, this is it? And it feels so bitter. Listen, I'm not here to tell you your circumstances aren't bitter. I'm just here to tell you you don't have to become bitter, even though your circumstances are. Because sometimes God is letting you go through that bitterness to expose what's inside your heart. To show you the problem isn't outside you, the problem is inside you. I want to bring you back to something I said last week. If you didn't hear the message, go back and listen to it. Uh, I, I brought this truth out from the passage, and here's what it is. Fix your eyes, not on your circumstances, but on the God who's in control of your circumstances. Hope you remember that from last week. So important. These, these sermons build on each other. Fix your eyes not on your circumstances, but fix your eyes on the God who's in control of your circumstances. Today, I'm going to give you the reason why. Because when you fix your eyes on your circumstances, all you'll do is complain. It's exactly what the Israelites are doing. They're fixing their eyes on the bitterness of their situation. They're thirsty. They don't have water. And all they can do is look at it and go, Moses, what are you going to do? But what you're about to see from Moses is what it looks like to fix your eyes on the God in control of your circumstances. And the way you fix your eyes on God is something simple called prayer. I want you to see what he does. So in verse 24, we ended with the people complaining to Moses, where are we going to get water from? And I want you to see how Moses responds in verse verse 25, who he turns to. It says, and he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now when it says the water became sweet, that doesn't mean it had calories in it, it was like sugar water. Sweet in Hebrew means drinkable. Literally, 
the chemistry of the water changed. The very nature, the, the essence of the water changed from toxic to drinkable because he got a log and threw it in there. Now, I want you to go ahead and know this makes no sense whatsoever. Like, why in the world do you grab a log? And, and, and don't forget, there are a million plus, maybe multiple millions of people, if you include men, women, and children, and all of them have traveled for three days with no water. I don't know how many gallons of water this is, but that's a lot of water. And one log made however many gallons of water that were necessary to give enough water for, for a whole bunch of million, millions of people who are dying of thirst have everything they need. I've actually read, uh, and I do a lot of scholarly research coming in these messages because I want to present the truth to you, and read multiple commentaries and works, and there are many of them who try to explain uh, the people who are trying to research, are there some woods in the area, some kind of trees that have a chemical property that maybe might mix with bitter water and, and make it work? And they have some suggestions, but at the end of the day, no one can explain how one log can do that for a body of water large enough for millions of people. And so the only conclusion I can come up with is there's no scientific explanation. This was just a miracle of Almighty God. He was just showing his power. He was asking Moses to do something that didn't make any sense. Now, I'll explain it a little bit later on. But Moses didn't have to understand why. He just had to obey. So he grabs a log, and he throws it in there, and boom, the water becomes drinkable. Problem solved. Now, I want you to notice the difference between the two, between the Israelites and Moses. Because my guess is we're way too much like the Israelites, and we're not enough like Moses. They complain, and nothing happens. Moses prays and everything happens. I, I got to be honest with you about myself. It's not my natural tendency to pray first. It's my natural tendency to try to solve first. And when that doesn't work, I complain. And go ahead and admit it to you. That's your pastor. And I'm going to admit it to you because I have a feeling that 99.99%, I'm not going to throw my wife in it, but all the rest of you people are the same way. <laughs> You're either going to solve it on your own or you're just going to go straight to complain. You're not even going to try to solve it. And what happens when you try to solve it, it doesn't work. You complain. And you're going to complain until you try to complain. You're going to try to solve it again. It's not going to work and you're going to complain. And you're going to be like a hamster on a hamster wheel just going around and around and around. And what we do as people of faith, when we finally get exhausted and we've got to flop out of the hamster wheel, that's when we finally go, well, I guess I should go ahead and try to pray. And I'm just wondering what would happen if we started with prayer. Like, how different would it be if we just said, no, instead of complain, I'm going to pray? How many miracles of God would we see? How much time would we save ourselves if we just said, I'm going to pray? So I'm going to go ahead and give you a mantra. I, I want you to memorize this. You don't even have to write it down. It's so easy. You can just memorize it. And I want you to say it to yourself every single day. Here's what it is. Pray first, complain later. That's your mantra. It's four words. Pray first, complain later. I'm not even telling you to stop complaining. Because you can't do it and I can't do it. I'm not trying to set up something impossible for you. Just complain later. Pray first. In fact, I want your desire to complain to become a trigger for you to pray. I don't know if you know, you can, you can retrain your mind to do different things based on triggers. Like, for instance, when you're hungry, you have a natural trigger to feed yourself. And most of us live in a world, in a country, in a season where we have food. So I'm hungry. What do I do? I go to the pantry. I go to the fridge. It's a trigger to put something in my mouth to satisfy my hunger. It's a natural trigger. When you're fasting, we tell you to do this all the time for those of you who practice fasting, to let your hunger pain trigger you to pray instead of eat. So instead of going for the Twinkie, go to your prayer closet. 
It, it becomes a trigger, and that allows you to learn to pray without ceasing all day long. You transfer your hunger into a trigger to pray. So I'm asking you to do the same thing, but with your complaint. Every time you want to grumble, every time you want to fixate on the negative, every time you want to complain, let that be a trigger and go, no, 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 no. I'm going to pray first. I'll complain later. Like a mantra, pray first, complain later. I want you to look in the mirror every morning, pray first, complain later. Pray first, complain later. <laughs> and here's the reason why. If you pray first, you'll never get around to complaining. Because you're going to fix your eyes on something different. Complaining only happens when you fix your eyes on your circumstances, and complaining only keeps your eyes fixed on your circumstances. But when you pray first, you fix your eyes on the God who's in control of your circumstances, and this crazy thing happens, peace that surpasses all understanding, guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. All of a sudden, nothing has changed in your circumstances, and peace comes over you, because your eyes are fixed on the God who's in control of your circumstances. Let me go ahead and tell you, if God didn't change a thing in your life, but he gave you peace through prayer, that would be worth it enough. But there's a bonus. God often changes our circumstances when we pray to him and not just gives us peace. He does both. This is exactly what you see in this story. Moses, he fixes his eyes on God and he prays to God and God tells him what to do and bam, the whole thing changes and they can drink the water they need and everybody's satisfied. The whole thing is changed because Moses prayed. But I want you to see how Moses prayed, because this is one of the keys that you need to add to the whole pray first, complain later mantra. You need to know how to pray, because there's a great mistake most of you make when you pray, especially when you're desperate. When you pray, you'll start to tell God what to do, and you won't even realize how arrogant that is. Okay, God, I need you to solve this problem. God, I need you to fix this thing at work. God, I need you to heal this bum hamstring of mine. God, I need you to do this, whatever. You tell God what you need to do, what you need him to do, and then you're going to be done. Wash your hands. Spend my time in prayer. Now I'm just going to wait for God to do what I just told him to do. Like he's a, a lab retriever just coming back over here. Go, what next, boss? That's not how God works. That's not what Moses did. No one in their right mind would grab a log and throw it into the water. Moses didn't go, okay, God, I got it. Here's a log. Make this log. Make that water sweet. That's not how it worked. What Moses did was he presented his need before the Lord, and here's the secret. Second thing is he waited for instructions from God. He listened to God. God said, I know it's going to sound crazy, Moses. See that log? Throw it into the water. He obeyed, and then he saw the miracle of God. That's your order of how it always works. You present your need to God, you listen to God, you do what he says, and then you see the miracles of God. Always in that sequence. You don't, you don't tell God what to do. You present your need and you say, God, tell me what to do. This is exactly what he tells them was his plan all along. He's about to reveal to them the whole purpose of this thing was just to be a life lesson for you. We're going to finish up the passage going back to the second half of verse 25. And let's finish up the chapter. Listen to what the Lord says to them. It says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. 
So he says, listen, guys, I, the whole time I just wanted you to know this was just a test because I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to show you what I can do if you'll come to me. And here are the instructions. I'm going to give you, it's very simple. He says, listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes. Now let me go ahead and explain. I'm going to bring this down to the, the Bible 101 version. Let God tell you what to do and then do what he says. Not what you think's right, what he thinks right. Listen to his voice means let him tell you what to do and then do what he says. And when you do, God's going to take care of all the rest. He's saying all this test, everything you're going through, the way you feel stretched to the breaking point, I'm just trying to expose what's inside of you so you can know that there's bitterness in there, there's brokenness in there. And when you discover that, don't fret. Just come to me, present your case to me. Let me tell you what to do. You do it, and then you're going to see my power. All of this is a means of instruction. And this is what I want to tell you. God wants the same truth to be true for you today, right here, right now. I don't know what you're facing. I know many of you have very bitter circumstances. I know you have a situation that has you overwhelmed. Many of you. Things that make you want to complain. And God right now, whether you feel or not, is giving you a gift. He's trying to expose what's inside your heart so that you'll learn what you can do is turn to him and trust him. And he will meet your needs 100% of the time. I don't make guarantees on a lot of things, but I'm going to make a guarantee on that because God's word says it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, God will, will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say he'll supply all of your wants and desires, but every one of your needs, he'll meet them. Go ahead and look up Philippians 4, 19. Paste it on your forehead. Do whatever you got to do to remember he will meet every one of your needs if you just go to him. And that's what I'm asking you to do, to go to him. Now I want to teach you something the Lord gave me in a time of prayer as I was praying in this sermon that I think is important for you. And here's what it is. You cannot complain and trust God at the exact same time. They are mutually exclusive. You know, the whole part of faith, getting the miracles of God is by faith. You listen to God and you do what he says. That requires faith. Then you see the miracles of God. But you can't complain and trust in God at the same time. It's impossible. So let me go ahead and make it as clear as I can. Right here, right now. You're either complaining or you're conquering, but you're not doing both at the same time. You're either griping or you're growing, but you're not doing both at the same time. You're either whining or you're winning. You're murmuring or you're moving. You're, you're either belly aching or you're breaking through, but you are never doing both at the exact same time. I'm gonna go ahead and give you a suggestion. As your pastor, as your brother in Christ, stop wasting your time complaining. It's not doing anything for you. If you're going to waste your time, and I use that real loosely, waste your time at the feet of Jesus, praying, presenting your need, letting him tell you what to do, and then be crazy enough to go do it, even if it means throwing a log into some water and you don't know why he's telling you to do it, because you believe miracles on the other side of it. Waste your time at his feet, and he'll meet every single one of your needs. Doesn't matter how broken it is, he'll restore it. Doesn't matter how sick the situation is, he'll heal it. And here's the reason why. Our God at his very nature is a healer. He showed us that name. It's this real beautiful, subtle moment in verse 26. The very end of it, he says, here's what I'm going to do. Just listen to my voice. Do what I say. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. And he says, why? Because I am the Lord, your healer. Literally in Hebrew, he says, I am Yahweh Rophe. Some of you have heard it as Jehovah Rapha. 
I am Yahweh. That's his personal name, Rophe. I am Yahweh, the God who heals. My personal identity is I am a healer. It's core to my very nature. And what he's saying when he says I'm a healer, he says I can restore anything. It's core to who I am. I can mend anything that's broken. I can heal anything that's sick. It's who I am. He's saying bring it to me. Bitterness of waters, I'll show you how they can become sweet. You just got to trust me. Now here's what I love about the word of God. Anytime you get in the Old Testament, just go ahead and know it's talking about Jesus. Every single time. Jesus, he said, hey guys, all the prophets, all the law, it's all about me. Don't, don't ever forget that. And this is no different. I love in this story how we can see such a glimpse of Jesus. You just got to know how to see it. It all comes down to terminology. You know, I remember I told you before, it almost didn't make sense. Why would he grab a log and throw it in there? Well, there was a reason why. That word, you'll notice in many of your Bible translations, will have a little footnote on there. And if you go to the bottom, it says that word log in Hebrew also means tree. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if he's grabbing a whole tree and throwing it into the water or what. But it means wood or tree or log. It's all the same word in Hebrew. So he threw the tree into the bitter water and they became sweet. Let me tell you why that matters. I want you to flip over to almost the end of your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. I want to read just one last verse for you. And the, the Apostle Peter is talking about Jesus here. He says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Praise God. By his wounds you've been what? Healed. Why? Because Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one who went to the tree. That's another, that's another name for the cross, the tree. And because Jesus went to the tree, the tree was thrown into the bitterness of sin and it became the sweetness of salvation. This whole story in Exodus 15 is about Jesus. And he says, I'm the healer. Whatever you got going on, bring it to me. Come to me and I'll show you my power to handle any one of your circumstances. He's inviting you. Jesus is saying, I'm the one. Come to me. And I believe that invitation right now, some of you need to take very, very seriously. And I want to give you a chance to respond. I believe right here, right now, there are some of you and you are going through some situations, some circumstances that have you, maybe even unknowingly, very embittered inside. You're finding yourself easily agitated. You're finding yourself jealous of others and hurt and misunderstood and complaining and grumbling. And you don't know what all that means. Let me go ahead and tell you, bitterness has, has been rooting inside of you. But I want you today to take the mantra and begin to practice it. Pray first, complain later. In a moment, if you have one of those circumstances, don't get bitter. Don't be the Israelites. Be Moses. Pray. Present your need before the Lord. Let him handle it. What that's going to look like is we're going to have prayer team members down front who are going to receive you as you come. And all we want to do is to help you practice. Pray first, complain later. Take that situation, lift it up to the Lord. Maybe you don't want to pray with one of us. That's okay. We're just here to support you and build your faith. But if you want to just get on your face at the steps and take it before the Lord, you feel the freedom to do so. But all I'm asking you is don't waste your time complaining. And you know who you are. You know you came in here with heaviness and complaint. It's okay. No, I'm going to stop. I know where that takes me. It's nowhere. I'm going to pray first. And I'm going to give you a chance to do it. But before I do that, there's one last thing I want to say. I believe there are some of you who are here. And God has broken you. He's, he's stretched you to the point where you're going like, it ain't even just, it even the point where I got no more. It snaps. It's over. I'm done. 
I'm, I'm like those Israelites, three days in the end, I'm about to die right here, right now. My circumstances are so harsh. And if you're being honest with yourself, you've been angry with God. God, if you're good and you're all powerful, where are you? Why aren't you doing something in my life right now? I know you're, you've got power. I believe in you. This situation, I believe you know about it. Why aren't you doing something? Why do you keep stretching me further and further and further? You're just like those Israelites. We're about to die, God. Now we're drinking this bitter water. We've got to spit it out, God. Where are you? But here's what I want you to know. I know it doesn't feel like it, but God has given you a gift. And what he's trying to show you is that your circumstances aren't nearly as bitter as your heart is. You think it's everything around you, but it's what's inside you. And what he's trying to do is break you to the point where you recognize you need a healer. Jesus says, come to me, but you'll never come to him unless you know you need his healing. You don't go to the doctor unless something hurts. You're not going to go to the healer unless something hurts. And maybe God is trying to help you hurt enough so that you'll go to Jesus. Don't let him waste all this hurt on you. Don't take it for granted. Listen to what's going on. He loves you. He's coming after you. He loves you way too much to let you go on your course to hell. He wants to save you. And if it means dragging you through the bottom of the ocean temporarily so he can give you eternal life, he's willing to do it. But why wait? Why keep complaining? Why be angry with God? Be Moses, not the Israelites. Turn to him. Present your need. Cry out to him and he'll save you. I believe today God wants to bring salvation to some of you in this room. Let me tell you what I told you before. The miracle is on the other side of obedience. There's an order. Present your need to the Lord. Let him tell you what to do. Obey. And then you receive the miracle. Now I'm going to tell you right now, if you're one of those people that the Lord is talking to, you're saying, I'm broken, God. I need something. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, God's telling you what to do through his word. Go ahead and read the book of Acts if you want to, or you can just take my word for it. Over and over, he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent means to turn away from your old wicked life. Say, I'm not going to try to manage my own life, build my own life. I'm placing it now on you, Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm repenting, and then I'm being baptized. Why? Not because that water on the baptistry saves me, but because I'm obeying the king who can save me. And the miracles of God are on the other side of obedience. You don't have to be confused at all about what he's asking you to do. You just need to ask yourself, am I willing to obey him? Am I crazy enough to trust that if I take this step of obedience, if I repent and I'm baptized, that I'll see the miracle God, uh, miracles of God on the other side of it? I believe there might be some of you here today who need to take that step of faith. And I want to give you an opportunity. So I'm going to encourage you all to stand up right now. I'm going to encourage, like I do every Sunday, the prayer team members to come spread out around the front. And if today you're going, I don't, I don't fully understand what's going on. Moses didn't understand what it meant to throw a log in there. He just obeyed and he saw the power of God. You don't have to understand why coming forward and trusting Christ and repenting and being baptized changes things. You just got to obey. And if you need to do that, we're just here to help you. And you're going, what's it going to look like? It's not confusing. We're just going to, we're going to walk with you around and we're going to counsel with you to make sure you understand the gospel. And if you do, we have a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my place you can change into. we got shorts you can change into. You have a chance to express your faith in Christ before you even leave this building and walk in obedience. You just got to come. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you. But let me also remind you, there are some of you, you got bitter circumstances. Don't complain. Pray first. 
You can complain later. We're going to give you that opportunity. So if you need to come for prayer with us or on your own, it's open. You respond.